I am very excited to be here today. We are going to continue today in our summer series on the life of David. Uh, But before we go into that, I wanted to ask if you have ever had just a really spectacular idea and then everything went wrong when you implemented it. That has happened to me multiple times in my life, more times than I can count. I heard through the grapevine that while I was in Vine Kids last week, in fact, Micah told a story on me. Yeah, were some of you here for that? Evidently, he talked about what a chaotic transition it was when we got married. And I really don't see why he would say that. Just because the house was filled with smoke on the first morning he woke up, Uh, having been married, I feel like that's a bit of an exaggeration, really. My intentions were very good that day to start that fire. But that happens a lot to me, where I have these great ideas, these great intentions, and then the implementation of those ideas don't always go as planned. I, I can think of the multiple times I've sent my beautiful children to school dressed up for some themed day, only to later realize that was the wrong day for that theme. Uh, we've had a few tears, tears over that. But that's just, I think that's just how my life's going to continue to go, and I'm, I'm accepting that. Today we're looking at the story of David. And David is finally king. He's established his reign, and he desires to be in the presence of God. He desires to know God and be in his presence. And that is a good intention. That is a good thing. And in this time in history, the ark was the seat of God on earth. The ark, um, God's presence, was in this sacred item It was so sacred that there were many rules and regulations around and about the ark. For instance, it was kept in the most holy place, in the holy of holies. Um, The the high priest was the only one who could enter into the holy of holies, and that was only one day a year after they had done the, the appropriate sacrifices and rituals. And David became king at a time where 20 years prior, the Philistines had come in, had had conquered part of Israel, and had captured the ark. And they had actually taken the ark back to their home into one of their, and put it into one of their temples. And it's a fascinating story. I'm not going to go into detail today, but it's in 1 Samuel 4 through 6, where the presence of God through the ark, just devastated the Philistines. So much that they sent the ark back to Israel and said, we want nothing of this sacred item that holds the presence of your God. It is too much for us. And so they send it back to Israel. And then the Israelites that receive that mishandle the ark, and then they experience devastation as well. So for 20 years, the ark had been kept in the home of Abinadab. And that's where we start our story. And we're going to be alternating between First Chronicles and Second Samuel today because the same story is told in both those books of the Bible. So we're going to start today in First Chronicles 13, verses 1 through 4. David conferred with each of his officers, the commanders of thousands and hundreds. He then said to the whole assembly of Israel, If it seems good to you, 
And if it is the will of our God, let us bring the ark of our God back to us. For we did not inquire of it during the reign of Saul. And the whole assembly agreed to this because it seemed right to all the people. So David and all the people had this great intention. And it was a really good thing to bring the Ark of the Covenant back to Jerusalem, to have the presence of God close and to be able to inquire of the Lord when they needed to. And David was meticulous in his planning. He, he met with each of the commanding officers and he got everyone on board and they talked about the why and the how and they got it all planned out because he is king now. And as king, he has the position and the power to make things happen. And he knew this was something that he wanted to have happen. I'm reminded of the Lion King. We went and saw it yesterday. I saw it with my girls. And Simba says, when I'm king, I can do whatever I want. And in some ways, David here can do whatever he wants. And, and his desire is to be in the presence of God. So the story continues. And we're going to jump over to 2 Samuel chapter 6. David again brought together all the able young men of Israel, 30,000, 30,000 of these soldiers. He and his men went to Bala in Judah to bring up from there the ark of God, which is called by the name, the name of the Lord Almighty, who is enthroned between the cherubim on the ark. And they set the ark of God on a new cart and brought it from the house of Abinadab, which was on the hill. Uzzah and Ahio, sons of Abinadab, were guiding the new cart with the ark of God on it. And Ahio was walking in front of it. David and all his men were celebrating with all their might before the Lord, with the castanets and harps, lyres, timbrels, sistrums, and cymbals. And when they came to the threshing floor of Nakan, Uzzah reached out and took hold of the ark of God because the oxen stumbled. The Lord's anger burned against Uzzah because of his irreverent act. Therefore, God struck him down and he died there beside the ark of God. Now, if this is the first time you've heard that story, my hunch is you're like, what? <laughs> Seriously? <laughs> so, I mean, imagine this great procession, this giant parade. It's a nationwide event. They have all the musicians and the dancers, and they're celebrating with all their might. And in one moment, everything changes. Uzzah reaches out and touches the ark, and he falls down dead. In one moment, everything changes. And I'm left asking why. I mean, it, doesn't it seem a bit harsh? Wasn't David doing the right thing? Wasn't Uzzah justified in not wanting the oxen to stumble and cause the ark to topple over? And I think the key to understanding this passage is in verse 7, where it says, The Lord's anger burned against Uzzah because of his irreverent act. 
And in, and from my perspective, I had, you know, I have a hard time seeing, well, what's irreverent about that act until we really dive into the culture and to the history, um, in, in which this story is, is happened. And David, with all his, his good intentions, with all the conversations he had with his leaders, with all the travel plans that he made, with all the coordinating of the event, he and his people completely disregarded God's instructions. He completely disregarded the warnings against mishandling the ark, and he disregarded the very recent history even of what happens when you mishandle the presence of God. And so as good as his intentions were, David chose to move the ark his way. You see, there are detailed instructions on how to move the ark. Um, the Israelites had been wandering in the desert for 40 years, and they, the ark was housed in a tabernacle, a big tent, and they had to move it all the time. And so God had given very specific details. For instance, the ark had golden rings attached to the corners, and there were gold-plated poles, and the poles fit through the rings, and they were to stay in the rings. When it was time to move the ark, the priests were to go in and take the, the shielding curtain, the curtain around the Holy of Holies, and wrap it over the ark. And then they were to take some durable leather and put a second coating layer to cover the ark. And then they were, they were to take the blue cloth and put that over even the leather, so that there were three layers over the ark so no one could see it and no one could touch it. And then they were to carry the ark on the shoulders of the Kohathites. Kohathites. Oh, I practiced that word. You know when you get a block? Kohathites. There you go. It was a division of um, the Levites, and they were the ones assigned to carry. And it was very specific. You're to carry the ark on your shoulders, and you are never to touch the ark or the holy things. And then there was a warning, or you would die. And so David disregards these instructions and moves the ark his own way. And the story continues in verse 8. Then David was angry because the Lord's wrath had broken out against Uzzah. And to this day, that place is called Perez Uzzah. David was afraid of the Lord that day. And he said, how can the ark of the Lord ever come to me? He was not willing to take the ark of the Lord to be with him in the city of David. Instead, he took it to the house of Obed-Edom, the Gittite. So this happens. All David's plans fall through, and this, this thing happens. And David's response is anger. And he's angry with God because God does not respond to him in the way he wanted God does not respond to David in the way David wanted. And I think this is where it's really, the story becomes really powerful for me. Because I think it's a question of control. It's a question of control. And typically we like to be in control of our own lives, or at least to think that we're in control. We were, uh, we were swimming at a friend's house last month, and it was one of those chilly summer 
summer days, and so it was kind of breezy, and I didn't really want to get wet because it was kind of cold. And our friends have a float that's a big unicorn float probably seen them. And my daughter, Alyssa, kept coming to the end uh, edge of the pool, and then she would jump onto the float. But it's a tube, and so she didn't want to get wet either because it was cold. And so she would jump in such a, such a fashion that she would land on her hands and knees onto the float. And every time she did that, the water would splash up and splash all over me. And I was a little bit annoyed with my lovely daughter who kept doing this over and over and over. And I remember saying, Alyssa, if you could just control the way you're jumping, it would not splash me. I would appreciate that. And uh, she kept saying, Mom, it's impossible. Stop, Mom. Like, just let me play. And I'm like, oh, she kind of has a point, but still frustrating. And so finally I got out, and I'm like, you know what? Let me show you how it's done. (laughs) In a controlled manner. And so I got on the edge of the pool and very carefully and slowly and deliberately, I totally fell into the water. (laughs) And so sometimes we like to be in control, but sometimes it's really a semblance of control. It's not actual control. But we like to think... We like to think that we can be in control of our faith, that we can be in control of our relationship with God. And though it feels strange to say, I think many of us come with an assumption that maybe we can control God and we can manipulate what he does and how he responds. And so David is angry that God doesn't respond the way he wants. And then he becomes afraid. He becomes afraid and he says, how can the ark of the Lord ever come to me? He remembers who God is. He remembers his sovereignty and his power. And even in his elevated position as king, David recognizes that he cannot control or manipulate God. And he says, how can I be in charge of this ark that hosts the presence of God? Spoiler alert, we can't. We can't be in control of it. And so to move David beyond his anger and his fear, God gives him a little incentive. In chapter, uh, Again, chapter 6, verse 11, the story continues. The ark of the Lord remained in the house of Obed-Edom, the Gittite, for three months. And the Lord blessed him and his entire household. And now King David was told, the Lord has blessed the household of Obed-Edom and everything he has because of the ark of God. We don't know exactly how God blessed him, but you can imagine good things are happening for that family. And so David sees this. And so he went to bring up the ark of the Lord from the house of Obed-Edom to the city of David with rejoicing. And when those who were carrying the ark of the Lord had taken six steps, he sacrificed a bull and a fattened calf. Wearing a linen ephod, David was dancing before the Lord with all his might. And while he and all Israel were bringing up the ark of the Lord with shouts and sounds of trumpets, David saw God blessing Obed-Edom's family, and he decided to go ahead and move the ark. But this time... 
He does it differently. This time he follows the Lord's instructions. The ark is not being moved on a cart. It's being carried, very likely by the appropriate people. And as they take six steps, he makes a sacrifice. David is approaching this differently. It's not in a flippant, I'm going to do it my way sort of way. And it's not in a scared and fearful sort of way. But rather, David rejoices in the presence of God. And he remembers who God is and then humbles himself in the presence of God. First Chronicles 16, which is also echoed in the Psalms, gives us insight into David's thoughts and emotions. So after they had moved the ark, David gave these psalms to the priests and to the Levites to, to praise God with. Here are some, some of the things he wrote down for them. Give praise to the Lord. Proclaim his name. Make known among the nations what he has done. Splendor and majesty are before him. Strength and joy are in his dwelling place. Give thanks to the Lord, for he is good. His love endures forever. King David began to understand God more fully, I believe, in this moment. To recognize that God was worthy of praise, that God is worthy of praise, that he is powerful and sovereign, he is holy and majestic, and that in his presence, David could find strength and he could find joy, and that God was good, and that God is loving, and his love endures forever. I can, re- I can relate to David. Maybe you can too. This idea, this desire to want to encounter God. A desire to know God, to be in his presence. I can relate to that. And I can also relate to David in that I often want to do this my own way. I want to know God on my own terms, within the boundaries that I set that I'm comfortable with. Now, under the new covenant, through Jesus, God's presence is not centrally located in a geographical location or in a sacred item like the ark. Jesus has broken down the barrier between humanity and the presence of God. In Hebrews 10, it says, we have confidence to enter the most holy place, the holy of holies where the ark was. We have confidence to enter the most holy place by the blood of Jesus, by a new and living way open to us through the curtain that is his body. The Holy Spirit now dwells within us. The Holy Spirit, the presence of God, now is right here. And there's no barrier between us and the Spirit. We have been invited not only to approach God on specific occasions, but to live continually in his presence. And so the question I want to ask us today, the question I want us to really think about this week, is how do we attune ourselves to the presence of God already in us and around us? How do we attune? How do we, how do we pay attention to 
the presence of God already in us and around us. We sang today, let us become more aware of your presence, because his presence is already here. But let us become more aware of his presence and experience the glory of your goodness. I believe from David's experience in this story, this requires us to relinquish control of our lives, requires us to yield ourselves to God and to do things his way. And, and giving up this sort of control is extremely countercultural. We value being self-sufficient and we value being independent and resourceful. And often, I believe we approach God in that way, believing that we are self-sufficient and that we can be independent and we can be resourceful and in control of things. And so we approach God with an agenda. I know I do. I say, God, here's my plan. Here's what I think would be really great if you did. So, in fact, let me just lay it out for you. I'll do this, this, and this, and then you will do this, this, and this, and it's going to be awesome. Like we approach God with our agenda and with our plan, and, and sometimes we view faith as a transaction, like a business deal. We're negotiating. If I pray this way and do this, then God will. Or if I don't pray for patience, whew, then God won't give me any struggles, you know. Like we think of these things that are, are very manipulative in our relationship with God. And we think of just that, our relation, my faith, my spiritual journey, my relationship with God, my life, my decisions. And we rely on our own abilities to cope with life and to solve the problems that come at us. And so our focus then becomes ourselves instead of God. And, and this is what I see that is powerful in David's Psalms that he gave to the Levites to, to sing before the ark, is that the focus was on God. The attention was on God. Praise be to God. Thanks be to God. Glory and honor be to God. I came across a prayer this week. Um, Thomas Merton was a Catholic priest and monk and social activist in the mid-1900s, and he wrote this prayer. It's often called the Prayer of Abandonment. It goes like this. My Lord God, I have no idea where I'm going. I do not see the road ahead of me, and I cannot know for certain will it will, where it will end. Nor do I really know myself. And that I think I am following your will does not mean I am actually doing so. But I believe the desire to please you does in fact please you. And I hope I have that desire in all that I am doing. I hope I will never do anything apart from that desire. And I know if I do this, you will lead me by the right road, though I may know nothing about it. I will trust you always, though I may seem to be lost and in the shadow of death. I will not fear, for you will never leave me to face my perils alone. If I had to be super honest, some parts of this prayer make me really uncomfortable. Where he says, I have no idea where I'm going. I can't see the road. I don't know where it's going to take me. 
Like that planner in me, that control freak in me, really doesn't like that. And then Thomas writes, but I will trust you always. And I know if I do this, you will lead me onto the right road. Giving up control of our lives to God requires that we trust God. It requires that we trust that he is good and that he is loving and that he has our best interest in mind. And this trust opens up, opens us up to a profound and deeply life-altering truth. And this has been such a beautiful journey for me as I've explored this truth. And the truth about us is that we are God's beloved. That we are deeply loved by God. And it is unconditional. Like we can't earn it. We can't manipulate it. We can't maintain it. Like, regardless of what we do, we are deeply loved by God. And to receive such a gift can be super uncomfortable. Because we want to earn it. But God loves us unconditionally, and there is great joy and great freedom in living in the truth that we are uniquely and deeply and unconditionally loved by God because it defines who we are at our very core. It defines our worth and our value. It defines our very person. Spiritual transformation can take place in us when we begin to accept this truth. And it is only in that context, in the context of being God's beloved, that we can relinquish control of our lives. That we can surrender and yield and open ourselves up to the Spirit. And the Spirit heals and mends what is broken, and the Spirit brings hope and freedom. And Jesus, the Prince of Peace, brings wholeness. His peace, his shalom, doesn't mean everything will be easy. It means we'll be complete, we'll be whole again. And God accompanies us on the journey of engaging the world around us with that same peace and love and hope. So here's our invitation today. Our invitation is to consider and to receive and to live out the truth that we are God's beloved. And it's in that context of that love that we can relinquish control over to God. And I believe as David found, when we do that, or as we do that, and we continually do that because it's a journey and it's a process, there is great strength and joy in a life lived in the presence of God. Let's pray. Dear God, we just thank you. Thank you for a love that we can hardly understand. A love that is unconditional. A love that is so deeply profound. 
that is hard to understand and receive. God, I pray for myself, for everyone here today, Lord, that you would help us to experience the depth and the vastness of your unconditional love. Lord, that you would help us put aside the twisted things that we have believed, the lies that we have believed, that your love depends on on what we do, how we do it, Lord, but that we might consider and receive and live out your unconditional love. God, we thank you for this. And God, we know we can't do this by ourselves. So thank you for loving us, and thank you for walking with us as you teach us to receive that love. And God, I pray this week that you would be with us, that you would help us to relinquish control to you and walk in your strength and in your joy that is found in your presence. In Jesus' name, amen. So I want to leave you with this benediction. Leave all of us. May we more fully experience being loved and cherished by God. May we have the courage to release our controlling grip on our lives. And may we continually offer ourselves open-handedly to God. And may our experience of divine love transform us to love others as God loves. Have a great week.